This is the Gimme Some Options podcast with Sean McLaughlin. Everybody, it's Friday, May 19, 2017. Hope you're doing well. It's May expiration. Uh, always a bittersweet day for me, for my trading. It's the day when, uh, you know, you got to clean up all the losing positions that you just can't roll. And this month we had, you know, more, more than I care to have, but uh, it is what it is. Still a profitable month at the end of the day, at least as far as closing trades went. When I tally up all the closing trades in May... We're still up, so can't be too upset. But today's an exciting day. I've got a, an interview with a, a friend of mine, a new friend of mine here in Colorado named Gary Nordlander. He's an options trader, uh, relatively new to the game, at least compared to me, uh, but certainly has a passion for learning and for exploring. Uh, and he brings his passion to uh, our options traders meetup group that we have in Denver uh, on a biweekly basis. Uh, he gave a presentation this week to the crowd and kind of talked about uh, some strategies that he uses. And he's just a really great, fun, engaging guy. And he's got a passion for it. And, and it's infectious. It's contagious. And I love those kinds of people. And, you know, Gary was a little bit hesitant to uh, be a guest on my podcast. He uh, didn't think he uh, was of the caliber uh, of some of the people I've had on my, uh, on this program, but you know, I told him and, and I'll tell you the listener once again, uh, and I've mentioned this in past podcasts. I firmly believe that, that anybody has a story to tell. If you're out there day after day, plying your craft, trying to be the best trader you can be and experiencing lumps along the way, then you've got a story to tell And your stories can help inform and inspire others. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire trader or a struggling trader. We've all made mistakes. We all learn from them. We've all had successes and we can learn from them as well. And in fact, I'm much more interested in interviewing people that, uh, you know, come from outside of the realm of Wall Street. Just your regular Joe Smith who trades options out of his house, out of his garage, whatever the case may be. I, th- I think those are interesting stories. I mean, we've all heard the stories of the successful Wall Street trader who uh, works in a, in a tall 70-story building downtown Manhattan. I mean, big deal. There's all They're all over the place. There's other outlets where you can hear their stories. I'm much more interested in hearing from people like me. And I think of Gary as a guy like me. And sticking with a theme that's been discussed on this podcast in recent episodes, Gary and I get into a little bit about mentorship and, and how he sought guidance to get to where he's at now as an options trader, where he learned different strategies and and uh, how he goes about keeping himself motivated. So enough of me rambling. Let's get right to my interview with Gary Nordlander. Well, Gary, man, I, I appreciate you you coming and chatting with me. Uh, I've gotten to know you, you know, I guess over what the last three months with that new options meetup group we have here in Colorado. Um, it's it's been great to to meet a, a guy like yourself who trades very very similarly to me. So, uh, hey, just want to say thanks for for hanging out. Oh, I appreciate that, Sean. It was a it was great when we first met. Uh... Uh, at that first uh, meeting, and then ever since then, it, you know, it's just been an encouragement 
to meet you and see how you trade and and how uh, it's like it all folds together um, so nicely and it's it's great to meet uh, other traders out there. Uh, it's an encouragement that we're not sitting at uh, sitting on our, our our lonesome selves at home uh, that we just have other people we can reach out to and and talk about our passion and that's trading options. Yeah, you know, uh, people who've been listening to my podcast in the past, they've definitely heard me mention many times uh, uh, how thankful I am for meetup groups. Because um, uh, in addition to the meetup group that you and I are a part of, I also organize a different one. It's just for general traders. It's a, and it's a super casual meetup. We just meet for beers, and it's like different, all different kinds of traders. We got futures traders, forex traders, Bitcoin traders day traders, investors, you know, all different kinds. It's really just a social group. Um, but uh, I'm a big fan of it because, uh, you know, what we do can be a pretty isolating gig, right? I mean, we all work from home and there, there was a while for me. I mean, now, now I'm a father of a two and a half year old son, but, but for a long time, I was a trader who, uh, when my wife worked, I, I had nobody to talk to except my two cats that were in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's great to be able to get together with people outside of work and 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 who who do what we do and and we can share war stories and share encouragements and and all that stuff. So, yeah. Well, Gary, why don't we um, you know, why don't we spend a few minutes? I would love to learn a little bit about your background and and what you do. And I, I know you haven't been an options trader your whole career. So if you wouldn't mind, why don't you give us a little taste of uh, what you've been doing over the last 20 years and, and how you landed to, to where you're at now? Certainly the, the option route uh, came about, say, in the last uh, 10 years. But uh, uh, immediately after uh, graduating uh, from college, I'm an engineer in the oil and gas business. I, um, I uh, started working in Alaska, and my dad, a blue-collar worker, he had had rental properties his whole life, and uh, and on one visit back here to Denver, where I grew up, he was saying, hey, you know what? You should buy a rental property, and I thought it was the most craziest thing to do, but lo and behold, I put out my money and went and bought something I had no idea about, and honestly, it was probably one of the biggest moves and best moves I ever made in regards to that end, so I started investing from a young age, you know, right after, right after college, and along the way, I've just uh, grown into newer ventures uh, besides the rental business. And so, um, it would take uh, take me into probably the 2000s when I started uh, looking at trading stocks more than just trading uh, or just investing them in your 401k or your self-directed IRA. And uh, I started thinking, you know, I could probably do some pretty cool work in the stock business. And uh, so I thought I would trade stocks and, um, and quickly caught on that there might be some methods to use with stocks. And so I started evaluating those. And, uh, and uh, as I traded stocks, uh, one thing that just frustrated me was that if you sold a stock, you had to wait three days before you could get your money back and invest it. And, and somebody told me about options. And so I started using options as a stock replacement strategy. And uh, I grew along that way. And, and then I started using other methods that probably people are really familiar with, uh, you know, 
trend analysis and uh, uh, other indicators like that. And uh, But I was never really satisfied that that gave me a certainty about what I was doing. And uh, it wasn't until somebody mentioned about, well, have you ever looked at selling options? And I'm like, selling options? That seems so crazy. Why would you do that? You know, you're risking your money to to not even have the full upside of it. Uh, but when I started understanding it, it hit the true passion of, of why I really like investing in stock investing, and that it has probabilities. And so for the last year, I've uh, been uh, looking and in, in trading and selling options and uh, growing in that area, and I just I have just fallen in love with it. Well, Gary, let me let me back you up a little bit. So take me back to. Uh, around 2000, you said when you uh, you first got the the bug that uh, hey maybe there's more to uh, being involved with stocks than just long term investing. Uh, you know that was uh, for anyone who maybe is new to the stock market in the last 10 years or so. Uh, the late 90s, early 2000s was a time when a lot of casual investors or even a lot of people who had no interest in the stock market whatsoever all of a sudden caught the bug because of the heady days of the internet boom, which, uh, you know, really brought in thousands and thousands of people who thought they could quit their jobs and seek riches in the stock market. <laughs> so, so you got caught up in that wave as well. It sounds like, well, actually I wasn't caught up in the wave at that time. I was working up in the Arctic of Alaska up in the way cold areas in the, in the oil fields up there. And I would run into people that were, I don't know that you could call it day trading back then, but they were trading at least significantly every day, uh, buying all the hot stocks, you know, pet.com and uh, Biogen and Amagen. And they were telling me, Gary, you got to get into this. And I looked at it, I go, you're playing a fool's game here. I mean, everybody's piloted into these things. And I, I said, no, you guys ought to be in real estate. This is where it's at, you know. And, uh, and, and I just uh, – but I was amazed because they were, like, they were in this remote place doing all these trades. And uh, the one thing you can't do from a remote place is actually invest in real estate. But I was watching them, and, and of course, I don't want to say they blew up, but at least they uh, walked away with their hands in their pocket and their chins down and uh, uninspired. It would be shortly after that time that I was looking at the crash of the market, and I was like, well, wait a minute. There does seem to be something out there that you can invest in and be successful at doing it. Yeah, well, you know, I guess the, the point I was trying to make is uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was a different time, a time that we have not seen since, and that was the fact that people like your friends in the oil and gas industry – People with no real connection to Wall Street, everybody and their brother opened up E-Trade accounts and thought they could become day traders. Uh, I mean, it was uh, – I was in the late 90s. I was just a few years removed from college. I was uh, in my early 20s, and uh, all of my friends – uh, who had you know normal nine to five jobs? Guys who worked in advertising, guys who worked in computers, guys who uh, were doctors, this kind of thing, and the other. Uh, they all were opening up E Trade accounts, and they were all you know buying IPOs and and doing all the crazy stuff. And and you fast forward to today, even with the stock market at new all time highs, seemingly every day this year, very few people out there, very you know Joe and Jane Smith out there, very few people I feel 
are actively trading the market or participating or even paying attention to the market. It's it's a totally different paradigm than what it was in the late 90s. Yes, I, I would say that that uh, that whatever happened in, in, in those times it almost leaves us a, a stigma today amongst people. I'm often afraid to tell people what I do, that I I stay at home in trade. And, and I, I think they have this picture of those people from the 2000s that you know, they're sitting around in their underwear, uh, day trading and, you know, in the meantime, playing video games uh, because they are losing all their money. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, I, too, have gotten the sideways glance from many people when I tell them I'm a trader. And they're like, really? So you're at home and you don't work for somebody? And uh, like, yeah, that's what I do. And they're <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of sideways glances for sure. Right, right. All right. So. So today, uh, is it fair to say that that you're at least attempting to derive most of your income from trading or I guess the rental property still probably is a big thing for you, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it provides that base. <laughs> it provides the base uh, that uh, we've always been able to go back to and, and live off of. And uh, it's only been really the last year that I've uh, been trying to use uh, trading as a as a vehicle to uh, supplement my my income. Okay. And uh, along that way, it's incredibly challenging. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're not you're not guaranteed a certain amount of of income. You're not guaranteed any health benefits or anything like that. And uh, you're really just relying upon your own skills, your own guts, your own your own ability to make a trade knowing is this going to be something that I can profit from and profit with uh, a high potential of, of, of profitability and, and uh, something that I can reasonably make uh, money on. So, Well, Gary, I have to say that um, one of the things that immediately struck me about you when we all first met in our first meetup group at the options group is, you know, we got a room full of, uh, depending on the, depending on the week, between 10 and 15 guys and girls of, uh, of various ages and various backgrounds. Everybody seems to be uh, very smart in their own way. Um, but what struck me about you was you more than anybody else in that room really appeared to have a passion really appear to have a passion for what we're doing and for, for trading options. And I, I guess what I'm curious is, is, you know, where do you, where do you think you derive that passion from? What sparked that interest that got you to get you so excited about doing what we're doing? <laughs> well, that's interesting. There's, there's a couple things. First of all, it's just my personality that uh, when I um, discover something that, that I b believe, I don't want to say revolutionary, but at least, is a spot of like, like, it's like it all makes sense. I want to be able to share that with people. I want to I want to tell people about that. I want to share that with people, and I want to I want to help people learn how how that works. And I tell you that because um, although I'm an engineer, um, many people have told me that I don't necessarily act like an engineer. I'm not like the typical engineer, but. True at my heart is I love math because math never lies. <laughs> you know, we all have we all have stories about uh, about uh, things that were supposed to work. You know, it's a guaranteed this or a guaranteed that, but it all 
boils down to loving math. And, you know, I have been known to, to sit in a room by myself and just do differential equations just for the fun of it because I like doing that. But, uh, but I can't find any other people that want to do differential equations with me. So it's a, just a hobby that I can do on my own. But along that way, in the same thing that I discovered with options is that uh, on the selling options, that there really is some mathematics to it, some probabilities that, that come along with that. And when that came along, I was like, oh, my gosh, this needs to be told to other people. They need to be able to trust these probabilities. They need to be able to trust what uh, other people are saying in regards to selling options and use that in a way that they can become a financial uh, success in what they're doing. So, okay, look, you're an engineer by background, so you mm-hmm. are not scared by math. As you said, you love math. Right. Um, and, I th- and I think there is a stigma to people when it comes to options trading that uh, options trading can be very math-heavy, uh, very complicated, and, uh, and, and certainly it can be, depending on what kind of strategies you're trading. But I'm interested on your take when you meet somebody or talk to somebody who's new to investing, completely new. Do you feel that uh, that options is a place that they they shouldn't be scared of and they should wade into, or is that uh, you know investing 301? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's it's almost 101 um, because of the math. I don't I don't suppose that that somebody can can hear the word probability and they would just like freak out. But I do believe that I can talk to people or that at least people can learn from a, a simple thing of, do you want to place a trade in a company you like that you have a two-thirds chance of making money on that trade? Now, I think the only word that could scare somebody there was a two-thirds chance. But at least they look at that and go, well, that's better than a 50-50 chance, and that's better than what I'm doing with my money now. And, and I think it can be as simply described as that. And then that can draw them into a conversation. Well, how do I go about doing that? And I'd hope your listeners would say a two thirds chance. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear more. When people hear things like probabilities, they, their eyes uh, maybe glaze over, they get a little scared, uh, you know, because Investing or trading in stocks or futures uh, is a pretty binary directional thing. It, it, you put a position on it, either goes up and you make money, or it goes down and you lose money, assuming you're long. Right. When when we start as options traders start talking about probabilities and start talking about profit zones and we start talking about the effect of implied volatility and uh, days to expiration, uh, people think, oh my God, there's there's 17 different things I need to pay attention to. Well, buying buying and selling futures is just so much easier. I'm going to do that. I mean, and I guess really what it comes down to is is options trading. It's is it's hard for people, I think, to find the right guidance and the right educational tools out there they're out there but you know there's a million charlatans out there on the web willing to teach you how to trade buy and sell stocks but options trading uh people are scared of it and there's just not as much education out there as as there should be without a without a doubt when when you talk about options you know the word derivative comes around even futures i don't know many people that even would dabble in futures what they want to do is they want to trade stocks and they want to trade stocks because well, you know, they heard that, that Facebook is a great stock or that, 
Snap, all the teens are watching, and so they want to they want to buy that and they want to ride that and, and and be the next you know Warren Buffett or you know um, the next uh, Bill Gates that you know took this company and they want to ride it all the way along. But the really sad reality of that is, in order to to do like that, it's a one in a thousand or one in a million is a better number of ever finding that company and then riding it for thirty years to to see it go up that high. They think that, that really the way that they're going to make their money is to get that one stock tip from that one person at a, at a social event that they can ride it for the rest of their life. And guess what? It just isn't going to happen. Not only is it so hard to identify that stock, uh, let's say uh, let's say you have a gift and you're able to identify the stock that's going to be the next mega winner. Okay, well, that's just the beginning because ask anybody. Well, actually, I'm going to take a step back. There is no, I guarantee there's nobody who bought Amazon in 1997 at the IPO and is still holding today. And the reason why is because there's been three drops of greater than 75% of that's in that stock in the last 20 years. 75%. I don't know anybody who's going to hold a stock through a 75% drawdown. And two of those drops were 90%. So, oh, right. so great. 19, let's go back. It's 1997. You've, you've identified Amazon as being the next big winner. Okay, great. Well, when it, you're up and you're up to 300% and you're all patting yourself on the back and then all of a sudden it drops 75%, you're like, oh shit, I guess that was it. I'm out. But then Right. I mean, I, I, I saw on social media this week that um, somebody that had Microsoft stock back in the uh, early 80s uh, sold his stock for like 10 bucks a share. And the quote was, if you think you're having a bad day, think about this, you know, this guy 30 years ago sold his stock for 10, 10 bucks a share and he netted out, I think it was like $8,000. Today that would have been worth like 50 more, $54 billion or something like that. (laughs) And, 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 and they were trying to, you know, certainly just uh, bring a little levity to this situation, but more that they were trying to say, that if you just would have held on to it, you would have you would have been a, a you know incredibly wealthy guy. And what a fool that guy was. Well, I believe that every one of us would be that same fool because as soon as the stock doubled in price, we would have either got out or as soon as it went down twenty percent, we would have sold out just out of fear, out of fear of losing. Right, right. And and you know you're hitting on a couple things here that. Um is unique to options trading and and the way we approach the market. And, uh, you know, common wisdom for traders and investors, and it's very good advice for most of those people, is cut your losers short and let your winners ride. That's great advice. However, the way you and I and people like us trade options, we kind of flip that on its head. We say, if you got a profit, well, you can't really win much more from here. Take it off, rolled into a new trade. Meanwhile, if you got a losing trade, especially if it's a defined risk trade and it's losing, well, you know, there's no hurry to do anything with it. Let it play out. Uh, let it work back to you, uh, and maybe you can roll it out or whatever. I mean, I don't want to get too technical right now, but um, you know, we're not so worried about letting profits run. We're looking to capture profits as soon as possible and move into the next opportunity. Oh, that's so true. And um, and this is where it kind of links up with uh, uh, with real estate. You know, most people that that buy a house, they love their house. You know, 
they like to see when the neighbors move out and um, and the house is up for sale and it and the price of that that house goes up more than what they bought their house. They just love to see that. It gives them confidence. It makes them feel well. And as time progresses on, they 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 see that their taxes go up on their house because the the city and county or or the 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 county raised their property taxes because the the valuation goes up and people you know it gives them a a bit of comfort and and they they really love that but as soon as there's a downturn in the economy and um and and now the neighbors are starting to move out and prices of uh, houses are slumping a little bit they're like oh gosh you know um, that 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 makes me doesn't doesn't make me feel good about my house anymore certainly my house is still worth what it was three years ago, but they don't, they don't go and sell their house because the value of their house went down. The only time people have to move out of their house during slumps is when they've lost their job or they get transferred to another place, but they don't go out and sell their house at that, at that time. They actually ride in their house and they might even uh, upgrade to a new house because the valuation of their old house has gone up. Well, that's kind of what option selling is all about. You're right is that we don't sell out when we're losing. We don't, we don't drop that trade when we're losing. We stay in that trade because we have a chance for it to win by uh, making uh, certain decisions with that, with that uh, option or that, that underlying or that stock that we have bought. Right. And, that, and that's a lot easier to do with a defined risk trade. If we're talking about an undefined risk trade, that's, uh, there's a little bit more to, more to it, but, but the point remains the same, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. So, Gary, let, let's fast forward to today, I guess. And, and I'm interested to know um, if you have a bread and butter option strategy that you'd like to implement uh, or if you favor some more than others, uh, kind of walk me through a high level overview of your process. <laughs> well, my, my, the one I go to 95% of the time is, that's not a fair number, but I'm going to use it anyway, is, is the strangle. Sell one out of the money, put, sell one money out of the money, call. And the reason I came to that is as I started learning selling options, I had to, um, I was still sort of trading with my older mentality about, I knew which stock was going to go up. I knew which stock was going to go down. I will do directional plays on those. And, and as I saw those stocks or those investments, uh, pan out, I realized, well, there's got to be a better way. And as I started studying and looking at the probabilities of success, probabilities of profit on an investment, I came to the conclusion that the strangle seemed to have the best opportunities for investment for the way that I wanted to take risk as I laid my money out. And so, um, and I think the strangle has has given me those uh, the kind of, those kind of results that I like to that I like to see and I like to deploy when I make an investment. Okay, now do you have a preference uh, uh, between stocks or ETFs, or are you kind of agnostic when it comes to that? Um, I'm going to be agnostic. You know, um, we we haven't mentioned this uh, on on this uh, recording yet, but I have become a real fan of uh, Tasty Trade and uh, the me too. the me work too. that. 
Yeah, with the work that they put out that gives you the confidence about what you can put out there and your risk involved and your return on your money. Um, I, I just really love those guys of, of what they do. And they pour it all out, and it's for free. They're not charging you anything to do that. And, uh, and so along that way, um, it, it's given me the confidence to um, the probabilities will play out. Well, I think their first rule is whatever you trade, it has to be very liquid. And so that cuts out maybe – 95% of all tradable stocks out there. Would you agree, Sean? Uh, depends. How, how do you define liquidity? I think uh, there's, there's two schools of thought of that with options. Okay, that's, that's true. Uh, but, uh, but let's just say it cuts out a lot of, of uh, uh, smaller, um, less traded stocks that you'd be able to get into. Agree and, um, Yeah, and, and, then, and then along the liquidity measure is you're basically trading the stocks that everybody has heard about. So you don't have to have the up and coming snap as your investment vehicle. You know, <laughs> I trade uh, big oil companies, Chevron or Exxon, and, and, um, and I'm doing it successfully just in these big names. And, and then the indexes or uh, the ETFs for those indexes. So I have a, around 10 to 15 stocks that I have to look at. And you know what really helps when you do that? You don't have to think about all the, the smaller stocks that, uh, that other people are trading and trying to get into. You can limit yourself to a really small number of, of stocks and stick with that, especially as you're learning these methods and learning, learning how to do these trades. So if, I hear, if I'm hearing you right, sounds like you have a universe of about 15 names that, that more or less you're putting all of your trades on in those names. That would be, that would be a correct statement. Okay. I could read you off like in, uh, I could read you off like the six stocks I'm in today and, and you would go, oh, yeah, I've heard of those. And uh, uh, does this implied volatility play into this at all? Yes. Now, the, the, the problem with implied volatility, as far as I'm concerned, is it was something I never understood or really thought was relevant to how I was trading. And so I am new to the implied volatility game uh, by about a year when I started selling options. Okay. And I, I have to preface that story because what they tell me is that implied volatility is low and I look at it on a chart and go, okay, that means that's low. I don't know what it feels like when volatility is high. So I'm a little unable to describe what the world would look like or how my trades would look like if I was in a high implied volatility time frame. Okay. I mean, I guess the reason I asked is because if you have a universe of 15 names, which nothing wrong with that, um, but I imagine if, if that's your universe and you don't really – you don't wade out of that pool, so to speak, uh, then it, you will from time to time have trouble finding stocks that have high implied volatility, which is what strangle sellers usually want to have, uh, you know, as a tailwind uh, at their back. Just as a counterpoint to, to you, uh, you know, I'm much more willing to wade out into <laughs> darker corners of the uh, stock universe and dip my toes into stocks that have high implied volatility, even though they might not have the volume characteristics that you're talking about. Um, but I, I'm willing to uh, go further afield because I want 
to make sure that I'm getting into stocks that have implied volatility because for me, that's the number one thing I'm looking for. Not saying that's the right way or the only way. That's just the way I think about it. So, uh, so I'm, I find that interesting that you, you've, uh, you're, you've narrowed down to about 15 stocks. That those are your, that's your zone. Well, it's my zone for right now. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, that in time, implied volatility will come back like, like they say, you know, the world used to exist. <laughs> and, I, and I believe that what I'm doing now is practicing how to make these trades, how to manage these trades in this low uh, implied volatility arena so that when it does come back, I can probably amp up my, the, my P&L even more. So going back to uh, your your bread and butter strategy, which is the strangle, um, you know, we'll get a little technical here for for people who understand what we're saying. Um, do you have a uh, a delta target for your short calls and puts? Do you like to be around the the thirty delta call and puts or the sixteen delta? Which those are usually the two common ones. When I uh, when I when I first started to use the strangle more and more, I was. I was doing the 30 delta, and um, I will say that implied volatility started continuing down, and then I felt the effects of what uh, a, a declining vol uh, 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 implied volatility did to your your strangles and your ability to place those. And not that I was losing on those trades, but they became I was managing them more frequently than I was than I was wanting to. So I started putting them out further out. At uh, at the 19 de or 20 delta area, and sometimes I'll skew those if I'm looking to have a, a a negative delta or a positive delta on that trade, meaning I put in a little directional bias in into the trade as I as I place it. Mm -hmm. Is that common for you? Do you uh, like to have a, a a slight directional bias, or are you generally more or less trying to be neutral? Well, I'm trying to become a good student of the. Uh, of Tom Sosnoff and and uh, and and try to uh, build a negative bias into that. You know, it's hard to be an optimist, which I think I am, and and then uh, but then make all your trades in a in a negative fashion. Is that is that a fair way to say that? Yeah, but I mean, it's you're you're not uh, you're not trying to have a negative delta because you are bearish on the economy or bearish on the United States of America or anything like that. It's just a simple fact of the matter of. Well, the market's going up, volatility is coming in, so that's helping your position uh, when, when right. you're short premium. But when the market goes down, volatility typically goes up, which would hurt your position. So if you had some negative delta, that offsets the uh, the increase of volatility. So it, it strategically, when you're a premium seller, be having a slight delta, negative delta, delta angle is uh, is is a prudent risk management technique. Right, and and you know an example of that would be was that I had negative deltas uh, on on this last Tuesday, and um, by the time the, the day ended, or I should say, opened up the day before the market opened up on this Tuesday, I had negative delta. By the end of the day, I was in a positive delta. And my, uh, most of my positions were in losing positions, even though I thought I was protected with my negative delta. So it speaks directly to what you're describing about.
just a minute ago. Yeah, for those who might be listening to this interview seven months from now, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> yes. just two days ago, uh, the S&P, well, the stock market in general, had its first significant or notable down day in seemingly forever. So uh, we went from a extremely low vol environment to a rapidly rising one that, uh, you know, of course, evaporated over the next two days. <laughs> as it's it always seems to. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so so Gary, so strangles are your preferred vehicle for options trading. Um, one question I have uh, because I don't trade a whole lot of strangles, I don't trade a whole lot of naked options. The two biggest reasons being one, especially in individual stocks, I'm I'm just not mentally comfortable with undefined risk in a stock. I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable with an ETF because I don't think an ETF is going to lose 50% overnight or or be taken over at 100% premium. It's just not going to happen in an ETF. It could happen in a stock. And, and the second reason being a big thing for my trading strategy is I want to maximize my number of occurrences because that is a way for me to achieve the edge in my strategy over the long call, over the long run. So for me to be able to do a lot of trades and a lot of number of occurrences, I need to trade small and not have positions tie up a lot of margin, which naked options tie up a lot of margin. So I, I'm curious to know for you, uh, on any typical trading day, uh, how many open positions do you typically have? I tend to have uh, somewhere between uh, four to 10 open positions or 10 to uh, four to ten um, underlyings that I that I have put investments on. Okay, and approximately, if if you had to guess or estimate, uh, how much of that buying power does that take up? Like percentage wise, is that taking up fifty percent of your available buying power or seventy percent? Like, what's that? Do you know what that is? Uh, it's a uh, it's about thirty to forty percent of my buying power, and um, and I I know it's taking up a lot of my buying power. But I'm a little more confident in the math that it works out in, into my favor. But another thing it's doing is, is that it gives me a, a chance to understand and, and take, take the heat a little bit longer. I, 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 you know, we were talking the other night after our meeting about uh, how uh, by, if I were to, to buy those deeper out-of-the-money calls and puts and and release some of that buying power. The thing that would do it is just allow me to get more stocks, but I still don't have a, I, I still want to be able to feel the, how these trades are really performing without buying the, I'm going to call it insurance, buying those extra insurance points out there. I believe that as I go along, I'll probably start having, uh, uh, increasing the number of uh, uh, defined risk trades that I, that I have and uh, and then and then also be able to bring on more underlyings or more stocks that I can put investments on. I'm happily surprised that to to learn that you doesn't sound like you are requiring more than fifty percent of your buying power in your naked uh, option position. So that sounds to me that you're you're trading pretty light, which is good. I mean, in, in this current market environment that we're in. Wednesday of this week, notwithstanding, <laughs> uh, it's it's a it continues to be a low volatility environment. So uh, you probably don't want to have a whole lot of undefined risk on in this type of market because you never know when the big vol spike is going to happen. Now, when the big vol spike happens, 
uh, you know, that is going to be when you're going to want to step on the gas and get a little bit more aggressive because those are going to be the times when you're going to have the best probabilities on your side uh, to make money on those trades because the premiums will be so juicy. But uh, but we just haven't seen that in so long. Uh, It'll be interesting they, when it does They need happen. to have a juicy indicator uh, uh, on their screen so that to say, hey, everything's juicy now. Well, that's what IV rank is, right? <laughs> yeah, because I – well, I, I say that because, you know, as that market was, was dropping here a few days ago, you know, my wondering was, is this the drop that we've all been waiting for? Is, is now the time to, um, you know, load up on everything? And, and I just said it can't be a one-day event. It can't be – like, uh, like I'm going to miss it on that one day. And, and so I said, well, just hold back. And sure enough, uh, the next day things turned around and, and today is, is the next day that, uh, has added on to that improving market arena. Yeah. Well, well, Gary, uh, I, I want to kind of revisit something we mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, I've been recently in recent podcast episodes and just in my own trading, I, I've been thinking a lot about mentorship and about, coaching and about guidance because look i've been trading for 19 years and if i could go back and do it all over again from day one the, the first thing i would do when which i did not do was i would seek out a mentor from day one and not just any mentor i mean someone who's been there who's who's been very profitable who's riding who's ridden the waves of the market who who's experienced you know terrible drawdowns i mean just basically someone who's lived the trader life and and seen it all i would have aggressively sought out those mentors. Um, you know, I'm better at it now. I've got some people I can talk to that help. Uh, but you mentioned earlier that uh, Tasty Trade and Tom Sosnoff and those guys have had a meaningful impact on you. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how they've affected your trading and how you approach the business of trading? And if and, and if not them, if there's somebody else who's helped out in, in, in ways that they've helped you out, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I, uh, I do believe that anything you do in life, you should, uh, you should explore it with an, with an open mind. And, um, and it's helpful to find somebody to come alongside you to, to help you, guide you in that direction. Um, and, and so I, the, the great thing about Tasty Trade is that, you know, they're always giving you uh, hints, they're giving you help, they're giving you statistics, they're giving you like volumes of things to help you trade. The one thing they can't give you is what I call the hand-holding. Somebody like that is there like, hey, you're, this is okay. You know, we don't need hand-holding when we're, when we're making a lot of money, right? We, we, we can't hold anybody's hands because we're waving our hands in the air showing how great we are. <laughs> but it's when we're losing a position and uh, we need the hand-holding, somebody to help us talk through what's going on, uh, and, and they can't help you with that because they're not there uh, to do that. And that's what I found at these meetup groups of other like-minded people like you and, and some of the fun guys that we find there that they've said, yeah, and, and, they, and they're able to help you uh, understand what's going on and give you a little bit more confidence that this is not an abnormality, this is something that happens routinely, and, and you're able to get through it. And I would say especially in the option selling, that you need somebody to hold the hand. And why I say especially in the option selling? Because people don't sell options regularly. There's not a lot of people that you're going to find that can help you 
work through those uh, trades that you need to manage. And uh, most people would sit there and go, well, of course, you got to buy Facebook when it's low and then sell it when it's high. That's about their, the trading help that you could get from anybody else. But especially in the selling, because you are putting more risk out on the line than, say, the, than, than what you would do by just buying the stock. So now when you were in the process of getting to your station in life as an options trader where you're at now, did you decide that you wanted to be a premium seller and then seek out people like Tasty Trade, or did you somehow find out about Tasty Trade and started paying attention to what they're doing and a light bulb went off in your head and said, hey, wait a second, this makes sense to me. Like, how did that work? <laughs> uh, I, I think some of the listeners to this might be familiar with IBD or Investors Business Daily. Sure. Uh, I was trading those methods along, and, and uh, in Denver, they have a, a couple meetups that I would go to. And at one of those meetings, I, I met a fellow who described that he was trading using, uh, he was selling options. And I saw, I was going, well, that's crazy. But then he started describing it. I was like, well, that's interesting. And, and so I inquired to him about, well, this option selling, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about it because that seems to have something that, that's different. I want to explore that. I want to find out about that. Well, he was the one that told me about Tasty Trade, and I should go. Uh, I should go watch these. Where do I start programs and uh, and and get an idea? And so I watched a whole bunch of those Tasty Trade programs, and and along the way, things finally clicked about how the math played out in a in in a positive direction that you could count on when placing your trades uh, by option selling. Okay, so so somebody had suggested Tasty Trade to you, you started watching their stuff, and then that's when the light bulb went off. So that's that's kind of the route that uh, got you to here. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. Correct. Well, hey, Tom and Tony, if you're listening, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> Here's another <laughs> convert for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, nice plug, good one. <laughs> Well, look, I, I, I too am a big Tasty Trade fan, and uh, um, you know I had the the good fortune uh, in my role when I worked for StockTwits. Uh, the CEO of StockTwits, uh, Howard Linzen, uh, my boss and my friend, uh, he was invited to be a guest on uh, Tasty Trade. You know, very early days. I'm not even sure that if they called it uh, bootstrapping in America anymore, but uh, or at that time, but it was uh, you know it was like the first year of of Tasty Trade. And they had uh, Howard on as a guest, uh, as an entrepreneur, and uh, I got to uh, you know go along with him and hang out in the studios, and I got an early glimpse of what Tasty Trade was, and and I, you know, I was an option trader at the time, but I didn't trade their style of options, but uh, but I was very impressed with what they were doing. I mean, I did quite understand it at first because um, I don't know if you were, around, I don't it doesn't sound like you were around then watching, but uh, in the very early days of Tasty Works, it was, uh, you know, they had like a lot of comedy bits. They had a bunch of comedians on staff, uh, just doing all kinds of. I mean, they were they seemed to be more focused on entertainment than anything else. Um, so I didn't quite get what they were doing, but I knew that they were doing something that was useful, and it piqued my interest. And uh, so I'd, I'd always kind of, you know loosely followed what they'd been up to i just didn't have time i was you know always very busy with my job at stocktwits during the day i couldn't uh sit on the screen and watch their their shows all day long um but uh towards the end of last year i i decided uh you know 
to make some time to start paying attention to what these guys are doing because I don't remember if somebody shared a link on Twitter or something. I saw something and it, it got me to watch a video and I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, this makes sense. I mean, I, 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 I've been kind of doing similar things to this on my own, but like they're doing it this one little thing a little bit different. And like that's a huge light bulb in my head. So I started watching more and more and and, uh, you know. Now I'm a, now I'm a huge fan and, uh, you know, better late than never, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, that's so cool that you got to go to their offices. You know, I, uh, I often go, man, I need to go to Chicago and just drop in to see this, this organization they've built, you know, the facility that I was, that, uh, they were in when I got to visit, uh, they've, they've since moved. Um, they were in an old, um, the, the office that they had was an old, uh, studio, where uh like a rap musician studio so I, I don't remember who it was or it might not have been a, a who it might have been a recording label but it was some kind of label uh that 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 was where they recorded a bunch of rap albums and that's what they moved into and it was a really cool space it was uh i mean i was blown away it's like wow i would love to work here this is cool they had like band equipment set up in a corner like you could just pick up a guitar and start jamming there was a drum set like it was really really cool and i enjoyed being there but uh, they've since moved they're in a new spot so I, I have not seen the new place other than what i've seen on tv like everybody else right yeah I, I i mean to me it's just you know i don't want to say it's the mecca for me when i go to chicago but it will be one of the one of the places i uh I, I drop by when I get, ever get up there. Well, I lived in Chicago for 10 years, and I can tell you uh, it's a great city to visit for any reason. I mean, if that's your reason for visiting, great, but uh, go anytime. My only uh, recommendation is do it in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're forgetting. I, uh, I, I worked in Alaska, so I, I can weather some of the, the, the cold that, uh, that, uh, that Chicago gets in the wintertime. <laughs> Well, hey, Gary, I didn't want to take up too much of your time today. So, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for, for making the time to do this. Uh, I know you were a little apprehensive when I asked you about it because, uh, you know, um, but I, I want to have regular guys on my podcast. I don't want to have, you know, legends. I want to have people like you and me who are just, you know, learning the craft and trying to perfect the craft. And, and uh, you know, we could speak candidly about our experiences. So so thank you for doing that. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you on again down the road when volatility comes back and you could tell us how that experience has been. How, how it worked out. Well, thanks, Sean. I, I appreciated the invite. And, and when you did it, I was like, you know, I've listened to your podcast. I've listened to the people you had on. And, you know, I, I, I do dive into things. And so, you know, I've, I've read all the you know, the market wizard books and, you know, all those things and what it takes to be a great trader. And, and so when you interview those kind of people and, and then you ask me to do an interview with you, I go, gosh, those guys are giants. I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a, uh, you know, a, a, a slow poke little engineer and, uh, but really loves trading options. I don't know what I have to tell people. So when you asked me, I was like, gosh, okay, uh, no, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. And, and, and I'm just really appreciative that you gave me uh, a, a microphone here to, to, to talk with you. Well, look, I, I firmly believe that no matter who you are or what you do, uh, everyone's got life lessons to share, experiences to share, things that we could all benefit from hearing. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're uh, a billionaire or struggling to make your next paycheck. I mean, everybody has something to share. Everybody has a story to tell. So um, I, I believe that and, and and I hope to keep having 
all different kinds of people on the podcast. So, so again, thank you. And I guess, uh, I guess one last thing I wanted to ask you, and I, I might be putting you on the spot here, um, but uh, and, and I'm doing this because you've inspired me at the meetings. I just think I love your your upbeat and positive attitude. Um, if you were to come across somebody today who is interested in options trading but really has no experience whatsoever, uh, but they they want to learn, um, what are some some words of advice or words of wisdom that you might offer them to get them started? I would uh, here. I'm going to plug Tasty Trade again, but they um, I, I would tell that they they probably need to get around five thousand to ten thousand dollars together to invest. And uh, if they were willing to do that, if they were willing to scrape the money together to do that, I would come along with them and say, "Here, I will help you." with a couple trades in something that will get you sparked and interested in doing it. I think the, the, the quicker you move from I want to invest to actually making that investment, um, you, you'll hasten their desire to learn more. And um, I, I don't know that I could do any mathematics or anything that would inspire them more than Let's go out there and let's make that first trade. And I would try to get that done within uh, within a week of them of them asking, "Hey, let's do it," because I think as you move that into that direction, then you're easier to it's easier able to explain what the heck's going on. And and this why I say this is a plug. You know, the Tasty Trade guys they opened up a brokerage, Tasty Works, and even the way that they have their platform. And the way that they have their pricing, it has a way for that can inspire somebody to make a, a trade easier and not think about what what you might be costing you by making that trade. And it's just awesome. And, and that's really what I would do is, is those two steps. Well, Gary, thank you, man. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it, Sean. So there you go, folks. That's my new friend, Gary Nordlander. Super great guy glad to know him and we'll probably have him on again someday you can follow him on twitter his handle is gary nords at g-a-r-y-n-o-r-d-s all one word and once again i'm sean mclaughlin at chicago sean is my handle on twitter and stockwitz reach out say hello anytime or shoot me an email give me some options at gmail.com thanks for listening we'll talk to you again soon